Thanks for joining us for Open Bible Online today. Open Bible Baptist Church has been in South Jersey for over 60 years. We love this community and we want to be a help to you. In order to help us help you in the best way possible, would you do us a favor? Please fill out the digital connection card posted in this link. Here you could post prayer requests and also ask any questions you may have about Open Bible. If you'd like to give today, you could give online in less than two minutes. Visit openbiblenj.org for more information. Thanks again for joining us today. Now enjoy the service. Thank you, Thank Pastor, you, Pastor for, the for the opportunity to be here. Thank you, uh, Church, for your faithfulness in praying, faithfulness in giving. Thank you to the several different people that have come up and said, I recognize you, I've been praying for you. That is an encouragement to us, and we thank you for that. Uh, I'm Nathan, my wife, Christine, and I, I don't know if you heard all the different names of the kids, but Hannah and then Rachel and Sam and Nate are in the nursery right now. Uh, we've been back in the States since April. We get to go back to Chile in 77 days, November 17th. Yes, we're starting the countdown. Uh, we are finally homesick. It's been good to be back in the States. It's been good to see our, our families and to be able to eat at a restaurant, things that we haven't been able to do in Chile uh, due to COVID, but at the same time, we're ready to get back. Um, uh, if I could highlight just a few different things about uh, the ministry in Chile that were briefly mentioned on the video, but just briefly, uh, one, please continue to pray for the church property. Um, some of you have, have heard and have been kept up with the prayer letters. God provided this church property at a prime location, provided it for us a couple years ago, about three years ago. We signed papers to purchase the property. Um, several months we prayed, we asked churches to contribute, many different churches did, and we were able to raise the money to pay for the property. The, the construction company that was going to give it to us said, we are ready to give it to you, go ahead and, and pay for it. And we basically deposited all the money in an escrow account. We paid for it. And here we are, three years later, we still don't have possession of the property. I could go in and, and bore you with the details, but there have been a lot of unexpected legal complications that are unfortunately very common in Chile, not just to us because we're foreigners. And it seems like, what the latest I've heard, the construction company says they've taken care of all those legal issues. There are only two more steps, well, I guess we could say three. First, they need to evict the squatters, people that have moved in and taken up residence in the, church, uh, the, the house that's there on the property. They need to evict them. They've started that process. They expect it to take, at most, about another two and a half months. And then it'll take about a month to repair the building. They need to give it to us in like new condition. And then we're ready to sign papers and, and take over, take possession of it. So we're hopeful that maybe by the end of the year that might be able to take place. We don't like the property just because of the house. The house is nice. It may one day serve as a future parsonage for a future Chilean pastor. But we like it because of the empty lot. And I could... Well, I won't bore you with the details, but where we are, it's a big residential area. You will be hard-pressed to find an empty lot to build a church building. There are many houses, but good luck converting a house into a church. And this one has an empty lot. It is not big by any means, but it is big by Chilean definitions, and, and I think certainly big enough for a, a good place for us to start uh, meeting with more people. Right now, we currently meet in our home. During COVID, we've had to meet outdoors, but pre-COVID, we met indoors, and we could hold about 25 people in our living room, dining room, and that's, that's kind of squished. But we're thankful for the opportunity that we've had to, to reach out, and we look forward to maybe having the advantage of having that property soon. The other thing is, is Cañete. We were having dinner one night, 
When my phone rang, I took the call in the office. The gentleman told me his name was Celso and told me he lived in Cañete. I'd never heard of Cañete before. We'd been in Chile maybe three years at the time, maybe two. And so I typed it in Google, try to figure out where Cañete is. He told me about his family and his history, his testimony, and finally he got to the point and he said, Pastor, I'd like to know how I can find your church. I want to come to church on Sunday. Now many people have, not many, but several people have asked for directions to come to, to find our place. We're in a gated community, so it's hard to find it if you don't know where to look for it. And normally I identify some landmarks. I know what part of town they're coming from. I show them the way. But I had to say, now hang on, brother. You said you live in Cañete. Yeah, I live in Cañete. Are you sure you dialed the right number? Well, yeah, I dialed the right number. I told him the name of the church, and I said, we're in San Pedro de la Paz. He said, I know. I said, that's two hours away from Cañete. Yeah, I know, but you're the closest Bible-preaching church I can find. I said, no, that can't be right. I mean, I've heard from others that there's churches scattered around. We just don't have a good networking system. But let me reach out to my pastors, my missionary friends. I'll, I'll find a, a closer church for you. I had to call him back a few days later and say, well, Brother Celso, I couldn't find you a good Bible-preaching church. But I did find a church in your town that from its name, I understand their doctrine might be okay-ish. You at least ought to visit them before you dra travel two hours to see us. He said, Pastor, I've been there. They believe if you don't speak in tongues, you're not going to heaven. I said, I'll see you Sunday. What else could I say? He came Sunday with his family. They have a, a boy who's maybe about nine years old now and a girl who might be about three. And so it was too far for them to travel regularly. But we said, hey, how about next week we go to you on Friday and we have a Bible study together. And it, it worked out that every other week we would try to go to them on Friday. Maybe once or every other month, once a month or every other month, they would come and try to see us at church. And we, we got to, to help them in their walk with the Lord. We got to know them. And one day we were sitting down having a conversation, a Bible study, when Celso said, you know, Pastor, God blessed me with this house, my job, my family, the lake right down the road where I like to fish. But I forgot to make sure there was a good Bible preaching church here before I moved here. And I said, yeah, maybe that was a mistake. But maybe, Brother Celso, did you ever stop to think that maybe God brought you here so that he could use you to start a church right here? And he said, you know, I've been thinking about the same thing. And one thing led to another. We gave maybe $2,000 of our money, but most of it was his effort, his work, his investment. And you saw the church building that he built on his property. It's not very big. Once COVID restrictions are gone, we hope to maybe have 40 people inside the building, but it's a good starting place. And he's got the land then to maybe build phase two. We've talked about it and he's excited. We're excited to see him excited. And we ask that you continue to pray. Our focus is going to, our primary focus is still going to be San Pedro de la Paz, where we live. Uh, 150,000 people, as far as we know, we are the only Bible-preaching church. There may be some other churches that preach the gospel with a lot of false doctrine. But when the, the gospel's covered up with false doctrine, it's hard to find. And so we, we intend to focus right where we are. We do intend to maybe see a, a Bible Institute started. It's going to start out slow and it's going to start out informal, but you got to start somewhere. And then we're excited to maybe uh, start a radio ministry, a TV ministry. The radio ministry would be ours. That's going to take some praying, some planning, and some saving up some money. The TV ministry is an opportunity that we have to purchase one hour a week for $150 a month. You can't beat it. It, it reaches all the way south to Cañete, and it reaches a little bit further north than where we are. And as, as we've been traveling on furlough, God's really been working in my heart. Go ahead, do it. Take that step of faith. 
And so there's a lot of exciting opportunities. We're ready to get back if you haven't noticed. Uh, God's blessed us with seven different families, 14 different adults that were committed, part of the church before we left Chile. And as we've been here, we've stayed in touch with almost all of them. One is an older widow lady, and so I've not been able to reach her. She doesn't have internet or a smartphone or anything like that. Some of the church folk have been able to reach her from time to time. And another gentleman moved away recently, but he's not too far away. So I'm, I'm skeptical about those two if they're still committed, but the rest are still committed, and we're excited. Uh, we get to every Friday night have an interactive online Bible study. Every Sunday I broadcast a sermon that I recorded during the week and uploaded, and, and so we stay in touch with the people back home. We have a little bit of time. I took longer than normal with the explanation, but I have some time to answer some questions if there's anything that, that, that you wanted to ask. Yes, sir. Another, you talked about the dearth of Bible preached churches, whether religions, faiths, denominations, what else is in the area, right? Sure. If you'll do a survey uh, of Chileans and what religion they identify as, the largest religion is still Roman Catholicism. But I think, this is just my observation, that if you did a survey only of people that went to church once a week, you would find that the largest religious group is Pentecostals. They're Pentecostal Methodist, Pentecostal Presbyterians, Pentecostal Baptist, Pentecostal everything. And, and when I say Pentecostal, they generally teach that if you don't speak in tongues, you're not going to heaven. And so that, to me, it was a big surprise as I got to know the people and how just how Pentecostalism is, is seated everywhere. And it's hard to have a religious conversation without an idea that's been planted by Pentecostalism coming out. And, and that is one of the things that we've had to kind of study so that we can know how to give a, a good answer when those topics come up. Good question. Thank you. I should repeat the question for those maybe listening online. But he asked what was the, the predominant religions down there in Chile. Any other question? Yes, ma'am. Do you feel that you have a national step in the church that you have going in your home now? And then you mentioned something in the video that Sure. So we are blessed in our church that we have more faithful men than we have faithful women, and we have more faithful men or faithful women than we have kids. I mean, I guess kids are a good thing, but we've got servants, people who are eager to serve and, and men willing to lead, I guess we could say in that regard. There are three different men, two, two different men that have preached for me from in the pulpit, so to speak. I don't know if either one of them thinks that they're called to be a pastor, but they're, they're able to help and able to fill in when the need arises. And then there's the younger man, Felix. He's just a little bit younger than me, and he, he wouldn't say that he's called to, the, to, to be a pastor, but we're praying that maybe God would open his heart and his, his eyes because we kind of see it in him. And then there's, there are some other men that are, are willing to serve as well, but those are the, I mean, out of a small group, we're blessed to have such a, a large number willing and able to serve. I didn't repeat the question again, I'm sorry, but yes, thank you for the question. Any other question? If you think of anything after the service, we are staying in the camper right across the parking lot if the wind doesn't blow it away. So we're not going anywhere and we'll be glad to talk and, and answer any questions you might have later. Turn with me in your Bibles, please, to Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3, and we'll take a moment just to study the Word of God together. We live in a society where cell phones are second nature. I see a lot of young faces here today, and so probably half of us don't remember life without a cell phone. I remember when my grandparents had one of those car phones. Anyone else remember those car phones? I mean, my grandparents had money, and so they wanted to show off. I don't know if they were showing off, but they had a car phone. And cell phones have changed the way that we live our lives if we were to look back. Uh, one thing that we've had to deal with is the idea of a missed call. 
Uh, it happens all the time. Many of you, hopefully, as you walked in, you silenced your phone, you put it on do not disturb, and someone, maybe by the time we get back to the parking lot, is going to have a missed call. You know, maybe aunt so-and-so was calling to make sure we're still alive and well in spite of the storm that's blowing through. I don't know, but it happens. Uh, we had recently arrived in the States earlier than we anticipated. They were going to close the border on us and we wouldn't be allowed to leave. And so we got out with just a few hours to spare in early April. And so we got, to, got settled and I started calling pastors trying to schedule some openings that we had in our, our schedule, schedule some meetings there. Uh, I had called everyone I knew to call for the day and I, I set my phone up beside my computer, got to studying. When all of a sudden my screen lit up, missed call. It happens. I don't know how it happened. I made sure my ringer was on. We were in a, an area with maybe spotty reception, so maybe that's what it was. But sometimes we just miss, a, miss the call due to some technological difficulties. Other times we miss the call because we're distracted with other things like, you know, church. Or maybe we left the phone inside because we went outside to do some yard work and we come back in and, oh, there's a missed call. But other times we miss the call because we looked at the caller ID and we said, uh-uh, not happening. And we set the phone right back down. Uh, that, that morning in April, the caller ID told me it was from Ohio. I had just called some of our supporting churches up in Ohio. So I dialed back anticipating, we're going to schedule a meeting. And that's an exciting thing. When, when your main goal for the day is to schedule some meetings, I'm going to schedule a meeting. No. Instead, I had a, kind, uh, a recording that kindly informed me that the warranty on my vehicle was about to expire. <laughs> Sometimes we miss the call because we say, you know what, I don't want to answer that call. I'd like to speak to you tonight, if I may, briefly about God's call. Because I'm afraid that far too often in our lives, we miss God's call for our lives. Maybe because of some technological difficulties, we're just not listening to the Lord speak. Maybe because we're distracted with other things of life. But far too often, I think, because we heard his call and we said, no, God, I'm not going to do it. Now, when I talk about God's call, I'm not just talking about God's call to the foreign mission field. It may very well be that God is going to call someone in here to the mission field. As you go through missions month this month, I pray that you each would have an open heart and you would say, God, do you want me to go? I'll go if you'll just tell me where and when and how. I'll do it. My heart is willing and open. But I'm not just talking about God's call to the foreign mission field. I'm just talking about God's call to the next step in life, whatever that might be for you. Maybe it's something life-shattering like quitting your job or, or selling your house or whatever it might be that really alters the course of your life. Maybe it's something more simple, something like apologizing to someone that you've hurt or, or taking the gospel to your neighbor across the street or your coworker. But whatever it is, God has a purpose for your life. He communicates that purpose to you. How are you going to respond? And before you say, now, nah, Brother Nathan, God doesn't have a purpose for me. I mean, look at me. I can't do anything. Need I remind you that you're still breathing? And the Bible tells us that God has given you that breath. He's given you that breath because he has a purpose for your life. If you're here tonight and you've never trusted in Jesus Christ to save you from your sins, if you don't know for sure that heaven is your home, then can I tell you that God's purpose for your life is without a doubt that you would turn from self and anything that you might do to try to earn heaven and you would only trust in Jesus and what he did when he died on the cross to pay for your sins. But assuming that I'm speaking to a largely Christian audience tonight, I'd like to speak to you, each and every one of you, about answering God's call in your life. Exodus chapter 3, I'd like to read the, six verse, the first six verses together. Follow along with me, if you would, please, in Exodus chapter 3, verse 1. The Bible says, Now Moses kept the flock of Jethro his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the backside of the desert and came to the mountain of God, even to Horeb. 
And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. And Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burnt. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called unto him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here am I. And he said, Draw not nigh hither. Put off thy shoes from off thy feet, for the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. Let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer before we continue. Father, I thank you again for your word. I thank you for your spirit. I thank you that you, you do use people, sinners like us. And Lord, I thank you for these people and their faithfulness in, in praying and giving and, and being a part of our ministry and, and just being an encouragement to our family. But Lord, I pray that as we take this moment uh, that you would help us to set aside distractions, to focus on the truth of your word. And Lord, I ask, I beg that you would speak to us as only you can. It's in Jesus' name I ask these things. Amen. Most of us understand Moses' testimony up to this point in his life, but if I could summarize Exodus chapter 2 for you, it would be to simply say that Moses was born at a time when Pharaoh, the king of the land, had decreed or ordered that all the baby boys should be killed. Moses' mother and father said, we're not going to fear the king, we're going to fear God. More importantly, we're going to trust in God. And so they hid baby Moses as long as they could until baby Moses reached an age when he could no longer be hid, he could no longer be kept quiet. I don't know when that age is, but I know that baby Nate is there right now. In the middle of the night, he just lets out a scream to let the world know that he's alive and well. And I, baby Moses was at that stage where he could not be kept quiet, and so Moses' parents said, we've got to do something. They placed him in a basket. They placed the basket in the water, the river, and they trusted that God would take care of their baby boy somehow. And boy, did God take care of him. Uh, God provided that Pharaoh's own daughter would find baby Moses, pick him up and say, how cute. I want to keep him. I, I am convinced that she must have been an innocent teenage girl because she did not know that even though he might have been as cute as a puppy, baby boys are a whole lot more trouble than a puppy. I've got two of them, and so I know what I'm talking about. But then God provided even better, because God, I mean, Pharaoh's daughter had a problem. I can't feed this baby. I need someone to take care of this baby while he's still a baby. Who's going to take care of him for me? And unbeknownst to her, but surely known to God, she sent Moses right back to his mother and father. And from what I understand, Moses' parents were paid to raise their own son. Boy, wouldn't it be great if parents today got paid to raise our kids? But that's what God provided for Moses so that he would be able to grow up in a God-fearing home in his early years at least. Eventually he reached an age maybe eight or ten years old when he moved to the palace. And in the palace he had every advantage that money could buy. He wore the best clothes, had the best education, ate the best food. If sporting events were a thing back then, he participated in all of them and had the best sporting equipment. I mean, Moses had every advantage, every opportunity that any mother or father could ever hope to, to provide for their child. I'm sure Moses' mother and father had big, big dreams for their son. I'm sure Moses himself had high expectations for himself. But here in Exodus chapter 3, he hasn't exactly live up, lived up to expectations. He hasn't fulfilled those dreams. He's hiding out in the middle of the desert, taking care of sheep. Now, just like today, back then, taking care of sheep wasn't one of the most glorious professions. It was a lot of work. It was a lot of cold. It was a lot of wet. It was a lot of stink. It's not what any little boys would say, oh, I want to be a shepherd when I grow up. 
but it's what Moses was because he couldn't go back to Egypt. He was a one and criminal back there. You recall he had killed a man and then he had to run away. And that's where we find him in Exodus chapter 3. We might say that Moses was nothing short of a big and total failure. But we know the rest of the story and we know that God wasn't through with Moses. In fact, we might say that God really hadn't even begun to use Moses the way that he intended. Everything changed right here in Exodus chapter 3 when God called. As I studied Moses' response to God's call, I looked at my own life and I realized there were a lot of similarities in the way that he responded, the way that I responded, and I think the way that a lot of you here tonight have responded to God's call as well. First of all, I'd like to point out those things. There's six of them. And the first one I find in verse number one, Exodus chapter three, verse one, when God called Moses, Moses was busy. And the Bible says, now Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the backside of the desert. Now Moses had every right to sit back and say, woe is me. I'm never going to do all that I intended to do, never going to be all that I wanted to be, so I guess I'll just sit back and do nothing. He had every right to be mad at life, if you want to put it that way. But we find him in, in the middle of the desert, and he's not doing nothing, he's doing something. Maybe it wasn't anything glamorous, it's not anything that anyone's going to clap him on the back and say, man. I want to be just like you when I grow up. But Moses was doing whatever it is that he found to do, keeping himself busy. As I've studied my Bible, you've surely discovered this as well as I have, but I've learned that God can and God does use just about anybody. Men and women, old and young, rich and poor, educated and the uneducated, the athletic and the not so athletic, God can and does use just about anybody. But I've discovered there's one type of person that God never uses, and that's the lazy person. Study your Bible. Look at all the men and women that God used in a big way. And when God called them, they were already busy with something. Many of them, it was just secular tasks, but they were busy with whatever it is that they could do. Think of David when God anointed him to be the next king. He was busy, no, not training to be a king, busy taking care of sheep. So busy that Jesse, his father, couldn't spare him to invite him to, to come see Samuel. You recall Sam, uh, the prophet Samuel. When God called him, he was busy taking care of the temple. And we could look at the disciples when Jesus called them to follow him. Many of them were in the very act of fishing. I'm telling you again, God is looking for busy men and women to call to his service, whatever it might be. So don't say, oh, I think I'll just sit back and not, oh no, I don't want to teach Sunday school. I mean, I might be too busy for whatever God has for me. No, God is looking for busy people. Get up and do something. Well, I don't know what to do. Do something anyway. Have you ever tried to steer a boat that wasn't moving? I've only driven a boat a handful of times. But I've done it enough to know that if the boat is pointed in one direction and I want it to go in the opposite direction, I can't wait for it to turn around to crank the motor. I've got to crank that motor and get it moving even if that's in the wrong direction for a little while so that I can turn it around and get it the way I want it to go. I'm afraid many Christians are sitting here saying, well, I'm just waiting for God to tell me what to do. And God's saying, well, get moving and I'll show you where to go. The Bible tells us in the book of Proverbs, trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. In order for God to direct your paths, you have to be making paths. Yet far too often, I think we just sit. God, tell me where to go. God says, start moving and I'll show you. He wants us to get busy with something. Turn with me to the book of Proverbs chapter 6. I say turn with me. I've got it written down. So I'll wait while you turn to Proverbs chapter 6. 
You could have held your, your place in Exodus 3. If you've lost it, don't worry. We'll be back there. I normally don't ask people to turn, but we've got the time, and I want you to see this one with me, if you would. Proverbs chapter 6. I'll begin reading in verse number 9, and I'll read down through verse 11. Proverbs 6, verse 9. The Bible says, How long wilt thou sleep, O sluggard? When wilt thou arise out of thy sleep? Yet a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep, so shall thy poverty come as one that traveleth, and thy want as an armed man. I love the illustration in verse 11, because I understand it as we've traveled the states these past five months or so. So shall thy poverty come as one that traveleth. If you've ever taken a road trip, especially with little children, you understand the truth of this statement. Every time you stop, you lose money. You gotta put gas in the tank, you gotta buy lunch, somebody's gotta use the bathroom, so you gotta buy a snack, you gotta pay for a place to spend the night. Every time you stop, you lose money. And if you travel two weeks, by the time you get back home, I guarantee you, you will have less money in the bank than when you started that trip. Do the math, and if you keep traveling long enough, eventually you will end up with a big goose egg in your bank account. And that's how poverty creeps up. Very rarely does somebody who is physically wealthy one day say, you know what, I'm going to be poor the next day. I understand tragic circumstances happen, but normally poverty creeps up little by little as one that traveleth. And why did it creep up? Verse 10, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep. We let some things go that we shouldn't have let go. Now, I understand that Proverbs chapter 6 is speaking specifically about physical poverty, but I believe it has a direct application to spiritual poverty as well. Many churches, many Christians that used to be on fire for the Lord, spiritually wealthy, we might say, today are spiritually broke, just about spiritually dead. And it didn't change from one day to the next. It crept in little by little. Again, why? Verse 10. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep. Can I put it plainly? We've gotten lazy in our walk with God. We've gotten lazy in the spiritual battle that we're in. We've gotten comfortable coming to church, sitting in a pew, singing some songs, saying amen, shaking the preacher's hand, and then going and living our lives and accomplishing nothing for the Lord. God is looking for men and women who are going to just get up and do something to say, God, I don't know what you want me to do, but I'm going to do this until you tell me something else because I want to be busy for you. Moses was busy when God called him. But number two, if you look in verse three, Moses was confused when God called him. In verse two, he saw the bush that was being burned, but not being burnt up. It was not consumed. And in verse three, he says, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burnt. Moses didn't understand what was going on as God began to call him to that next step in life. And as I step back and look at my life, I say, you know what? Just about every time that God's tried to show me the next step, I've been confused as well. I didn't know what was going on. To give you, I could give you many examples, but just to give you one. When we came by on deputation, we told you we were going to live and work in the city of Temuco. We're not in the city of Temuco. We're in the city of San Pedro de la Paz, about four hours north of Temuco. Two weeks before we left for the field, we had Hannah, she was five, six months old. Two weeks before we left, we had our tickets in hand, our suitcases just about packed. I called the national pastor that we were going to work with uh, in Temuco just to confirm some final details. Hey, you know, you can pick us up at the airport, things like that. He said, Brother Nathan, I don't know how to tell you this, but I'd really rather you not come work with us anymore. Say what? 
I mean, make a long story short, uh, he had been working with another American missionary while we were on deputation. The other American missionary basically stabbed him in the back, split his church, and he was hurt. He was wounded. He needed a break from working with American missionaries. I can't blame him for that. He and I are still good friends to this day. I've preached for him on several occasions, and I hope to one day have him come preach for me. But I had to step back and say, God, what's going on? I mean, what are you doing, God? You, uh, two years we've been on deputation. Two years we've had our plans. Two, and you just now you're telling me? Now, it could be that God was trying to tell me earlier that we weren't supposed to go to San Pedro de la Paz. But it could be that if God had told me, Nathan, I'm going to have you working in, in San Pedro de la Paz instead of Temuco. Sorry, I'm going to have you working in San Pedro de la Paz where you don't know anybody. It could be that as I was preparing, I would have said, you know what, God, That's, you're asking too much. I think I'm going to go do something else instead. And so it could be that God was guiding us to Temuco where I was kind of comfortable. I had spent six months there as an 18-year-old, part of my undergraduate studies. And I, I kind of knew the area. I was comfortable there. And then at the last minute, God says, oh, by the way, I need you over here instead. And I could point out all the different times when maybe I've doubted, God, did I really understand this right? Are you sure I wasn't supposed to be in Temuco? And God says, no, here's another family. And we get to meet this family and come to find out that they've been praying for years that God would send them a good Bible preaching church. And you know, that's, that was the case with Sergio. Uh, you may have caught it in the video. But our first year in Chile, we didn't have a place to meet. We had a small apartment. When I say small, I mean about 400 square feet that we lived in. We couldn't have people over to our house for services. And so we invited ourselves to other people's houses. And it was just a lot of door-to-door -door knocking and, and standing on the street passing out tracks. I was passing out tracks one day when a gentleman rode up in his car. He was in a car. I can't pass out tracks to people in a car. I would not have met him if he hadn't said, I want to talk to that guy. And so I came over, we talked briefly, we exchanged phone numbers. He then later invited us over to his house to, to talk and have coffee. And I, I said, can I bring my Bible? Sure. He told me the address. Now, about two weeks earlier, we had signed papers to purchase our home. I brought up the address. His house was two doors from our house. Come to find out, he had been a member at a, a Bible preaching church five hours north in the capital city of Santiago. He moved to San Pedro de la Paz around the same time that we were starting deputation. He visited all the churches nearby and he said, uh-uh. Finally, he settled for one. Yeah, I mean, what do you do when there's not a good church? You find the next best thing. But they said, we're not content here. God, we need a good Bible preaching church. And little did he know that God was answering that prayer as we traveled. And as we traveled, we were praying that God would give us someone to work with, someone that could help us. And he was the answer to our prayer. And, and it's just a God thing. And, and we wouldn't have known it if we hadn't stepped out to live by faith. That was free. I, I'm going to end up wasting all this extra time we have. But Moses was confused. That's what I was trying to say. And I was confused in many different times as God says, this is the next step. I'm like, but what, what's going on, God? I think it's common and natural to all of us to respond with confusion. Because we think we've got the next 20 years of our life planned out. And all of a sudden, God says, you're going to take a detour. Say, what, God? No, no, no. I was going this way. And God says, no, you're not. If you're going to follow me, you're going this way. And, and so it takes us by surprise. And we've got to step back and say, God, what's going on? Think of some of the people in the Bible. How about Samuel? You recall when, when he was asleep, he heard a voice calling Samuel. Samuel. And he ran to Eli and said, Eli, what do you need? Eli said, boy, I didn't call you. Go back to bed. And so Samuel went back to sleep and he heard God call again, Samuel, Samuel. And he ran to Eli three times. God called three times. He ran. And finally, on the fourth time, he understood. Speak, Lord. 
for thy servant heareth. Samuel didn't understand when he started. Or how about David when he was anointed king? I imagine he went to bed thinking, planning out the next 10 years of his life and it didn't turn out anything like he imagined it would be. He didn't spend the next 10 years in the palace. He spent the next 10 years in the desert, hiding in caves. And how about Abraham? You recall when God told him to offer Isaac up as a sacrifice? But God, what in the world? I mean, I've waited years for the fulfillment of your promise and you gave me this child and now you want me to offer him as a sacrifice? God, I don't understand. I'm thankful, though, that we don't have to understand God's will to do God's will. Some of my favorite verses are Isaiah chapter 55, verses 8 and 9. The Bible says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. What's God saying? You're never really going to understand what I'm doing and why I'm doing it. Trust me anyway. You see, I noticed that Moses didn't ignore the burning bush just because he didn't understand it. He said, I'm going to take some time to investigate this a little further. And so if you say, that's me, Brother Nathan, I'm confused. I don't know what God's doing. Can I challenge you to investigate a little further? Spend some more time in prayer. Spend some more time reading God's word. And don't give up until you understand what God's trying to tell you. Number three, and we'll move a little faster. Not only was Moses confused, but in verse number six, Moses was afraid when God began to call him. The last part of verse six says, and Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look upon God. I think fear is, again, a natural and common response to when God calls us to that next step in life. Not only that, it's a healthy response. It's a good place to be. Fear is not anything to be ashamed of. Fear is what keeps us from getting killed when we cross the road. Now, no one other than maybe the children would raise their hand and say, I'm afraid to cross the road. Yet, hopefully all of us, again, other than the littlest kids maybe, look both ways before we cross the road. Because we have a healthy fear, a respectful fear of what might happen if we're not careful. And so fear is not only natural and common, but it's a good place to be. Uh, again, how do you think David felt when he was anointed king? I, I, I imagine maybe for a moment he's like, hey, hey I'm going to be king. But then he probably went to sleep that night thinking, I'm going to be king. Read the Psalms that David wrote. Half of them have a major theme of fear. I believe it was David that wrote, what time I am afraid, I will put my trust in thee. Or Abraham, when he was told to get up and go to a land that he didn't know of. I, imagine if, if I blindfolded you, but I told you to pack your bags, pack you a suitcase, and then I'm going to blindfold you and put you on an airplane. But by the way, make sure you have your passport. I imagine all of us are going to be a little bit afraid. We're especially going to want to make sure we're not headed to Afghanistan right now, just to throw that out there. I mean, Abraham, I'm sure, was afraid. But none of these men let their fear keep them from answering God's call. They just, they said, God, you know I'm afraid. But you're God, and so I'll do whatever you ask me to. Number four, not only did Moses fear, but in, in verse 11, I noticed that when God called Moses, Moses felt incapable. Expand our text just a little bit. Exodus chapter 3, verse 11, the Bible says, And Moses said unto God, Who am I that I should go unto Pharaoh, and that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt? Moses is saying, God, I can't do it. You got the wrong guy. I mean, many of us have probably been there a time or two before when God says, this is what I want you to do. And we're like, no, I mean, I can't do that. I want you to take the gospel to your coworker. God, me? I mean, you, surely you meant to call my pastor here. Let me give you his number so you can call him up instead. You got the wrong guy. Can I tell you, I've been there. 
Yeah, I mean, God, I understand you need someone to go and take the gospel to the lost in Chile, but surely you want someone who looks a little more Chilean, somebody with a little more experience under their belt, somebody who understands the culture a little bit better. I mean, you don't want me. You got the wrong guy, God. I think it's a common, it's a natural response. Not only that, it's a healthy response. Because you see, when we tell God, God, I can't do it, God says, you're right, you can't. John 15, 5, Jesus said, for without me, ye can do nothing. <laughs> yeah, that's right. You can't do it, Nathan. But trust me and I'll help you do it. You know, I can do it. You just got to do what I tell you to do. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26 through 29, For ye see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God hath chosen the foolish things of the world. That's me to confound the wise. You know, before I went to Chile, I might not have told you that I'm all that foolish. I mean, I'm studied, I'm smart, I know what I'm doing. <laughs> but God took us to Chile to show me how foolish I am. You know, how little I know. God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. God hath chosen the weak things of the world, that's me, to confound the things which are mighty and base things of the world. And things which are despised hath God chosen. Yea, and things which are not, to bring to naught things that are. Why? Verse 29 that no flesh should glory in his presence. You see, I believe this feeling that Moses has here in Exodus chapter 3 of God, I can't do it. I believe he kept that feeling with him. And 40 years later, as he led the children of Israel up to the promised land, he looked back on all that God had accomplished through his life, and he didn't say, hey guys, you be sure my great-grandkids know what I did. I mean, look at all I did. Ain't nobody else got a good great-grandfather like they do. No, Moses didn't say that. Moses turned around and he looked back on all that had been accomplished and he said, I didn't do that. I couldn't do that, but God did. And I pray the same thing might be said of me when I reach the end of my earthly journey one day. And I look back and if God has been able to accomplish anything through my life, I wouldn't look back and try to claim credit for any of it. Because the simple fact of the matter is, again in John 15, 5, without Him, we can do nothing. Anything that God might do through us is because of Him and not because of us. Moses felt incapable. Number five, look at chapter four, verse one. Moses doubted. The Bible says, and Moses answered and said, but behold, they will not believe me nor hearken unto my voice. For they will say, the Lord hath not appeared unto thee. Moses is saying, God, your plan stinks. I think it's a natural common response to say, God, I got a better plan than you do, but it's no longer a healthy place to be. It's a dangerous place to be. Doubt if not dealt with biblically. And what's the biblical way to deal with doubt? Turn it over to the Lord. Say, God, you know I've got my doubts and fears, but help me to trust you and do what you ask anyway. Doubt, if not dealt with biblically, will almost always lead you to sin. It's what happened with Abraham and Sarah. You recall that God had promised them that they were going to have a son, an heir. They were already past childbearing years, but yet they had faith and patience to wait on God for many years until finally they said, you know what, God? I think your plan needs some help here. We're going to help you out, God. And Abraham can have a son through Hagar and everything will be just fine and dandy. Well, today the world is still dealing with the consequences of that decision. And let me tell you, everything's not just fine and dandy. Doubt led them to sin. And if you doubt God, it'll lead you to sin as well. This is where Moses is, but I think a lot of times we doubt, we doubt God because we forget about God. 
It's like when we teach multiplication to our third, fourth, and fifth graders. They learn their math facts and they're all proud of themselves. Hey, hey, yeah, quiz me, I know my math facts. Okay, what's four times five? <laughs> 20, that's easy. What's 20 times five? 100. Okay, good. What's 100 times 82 times 73 times 55 times 64? Anybody got it? No. And so the, the third, fourth, fifth graders, they, they sometimes have a meltdown and they say, but I can't do that. And we say, now hang on, times zero. And the answer is zero. And we teach them that when there's a zero in the equation, you don't have to worry about those big scary numbers. You just look at the zero and you know the answer is going to be zero. God is our zero. Yet far too often we spend so much time looking at the big scary obstacles that stand in the way and we realize I can't do it. It's not going to turn out the way that it's supposed to turn out. And we never look at God. If God's in the equation, that's all we need to worry about. That's all we need to look to because if God's in it, it's going to turn out the way that God intended for it to turn out. The angel told Mary in Luke 1.37, for with God, nothing shall be impossible. And in 1 Thessalonians 5.24, the Bible says, faithful is he that calleth you. It's talking about God. God is faithful. Faithful is he that calleth you who also will do it. And Brother Nathan, what's God going to do? Well, let me see again. It is. What do you mean? Whatever it takes to get the result that God desires, that's what God's going to do if we'll just be faithful and obedient to do what he's asked us to do. Moses doubted, but number six in chapter four, verse 10, he protested. And the Bible says in Exodus 4.10, and Moses said unto the Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither heretofore nor since thou hast spoken unto thy servant, but I am slow of speech and of a slow tongue. Can I translate what Moses said? Moses said, God... I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it, God. I know you're God and you can use anybody and you can do anything. And, and I know you need someone to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt. But God, I don't want to do it. He was throwing a three-year-old temper tantrum. In the end, he was telling God, God, your will isn't always right. All things don't really work out for good. Uh, your will isn't always best. Hear me well, I'm almost through. If Moses had told God no, he probably still would have gone through all the spiritual rituals he had gone through before. If I could modernize the example, the illustration, he still would have read his Bible, still would have spent time in prayer, still would have come to church and dressed up for church and uh, sung in the choir, whatever it is that he did at church, taught Sunday school, passed out tracts. He still would have gone through all the rituals of being a good Christian, but God would have no longer been his God. To put it differently, the Lord would have no longer been the Lord of his life. You say, what in the world, Brother Nathan? What do you mean? Well, he told God no. Well, yeah, I mean, but that's just one little area. He's still doing 99% of what God wants him to do, yes. But by telling God no in this one area, he's telling God, I'm only doing this other stuff because I want to. If you ever tell me to do something that I don't want to do, I'm not going to do it. I'm in charge of my life here, God. And yet many of us, I'm afraid... Maybe six days ago, maybe six weeks, months, years ago, we told God no. To us, it may have seemed like something insignificant. And we went on living our lives, thinking ourselves good Christians. It was just that one little area that I told God no. And we come to church and we raise our hand and we say, praise God. And God's looking down and saying, I don't know who you're praising because I'm not your God anymore. And that's where Moses was. In the end, he was at a crossroads where he could either choose obey God or disobey God. 
Many times in life, you'll find yourself at a similar crossroads, maybe right now, if not now, soon, where you know what God wants you to do and you've either got to choose, I'm going to obey God or I'm going to disobey God. Many times I've tried to counsel people with those two options and they try to take choice C. Oh, Brother Nathan, I'm going to obey God next month or next year. Then I tell them, today you are choosing to disobey God. No, 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 no. I mean, come on. I said, obey next month or next year. Well, are you going to do today, right here, right now, what God has told you to do? Well, no. I mean, you see, first I got to take care of this, that, or the other. I got to wait till this happens, and then I'll do what God asks me to do. Then today, you are choosing disobey. There's no other way to put it. God's will is for today, not next month or next year. Now, maybe he gives us a goal in mind for next month or next year. But today, he wants us to start doing something towards that goal. And it's called obey God or disobey God. And we know what Moses chose. If you wanted to write number seven down, Moses obeyed when God called. And it didn't... It didn't matter that he feared and that he doubted and that he protested, that he felt incapable, that he was confused. None of those emotions that he went through, emotions that I think are common to all of us, I know they're common in my life, none of those things really mattered. All that mattered was at the end of the day, Moses said, God, I'll do it. I don't understand. I don't think it's the right thing. I don't like it one bit, but God, you're God and you said to do it, so I'm going to do it if you'll help me. That's what mattered. And Moses' legacy isn't that of one of the biggest failures that ever walked the face of this earth, but instead one of the greatest leaders that Israel ever had. If you read Hebrews chapter 11, the chapter that we know of as the Hall of Faith, no less than six verses are dedicated to Moses' life and his legacy. The only person who's mentioned more than Moses would be Abraham. Again, we're talking about one of the greatest leaders that Israel ever had. Why? There was nothing proud, nothing that he could be proud of in his past. Nothing beside literal skeletons. But because when God called, Moses answered. Moses said, I'll do it. And God may not call you to lead a nation out of slavery. But he may call you to lead a loved one or a co-worker or a neighbor out of their bondage to sin. When God calls, will you answer? Now, before you tell me, Brother Nathan, that is a good message for these young people here tonight. I am so glad they got to hear it too. Need I remind you that Moses was 80 years old when God called him? I don't believe there's a one here who could say, no, God's not calling me. He's through with me. I'm just just floating out until he calls me on home. God's got a purpose for you. He's he's calling. He's been calling. Maybe he's wondering if, if you're getting the call. Some of us would say, Brother Nathan, I don't know if God's called me to do anything. I don't know what he wants me to do. Can I encourage you to make sure your ringer's on? Isn't it funny how when we're expecting, anticipating a call, we glance at our phone every five minutes? Every ten minutes we turn the volume up even though we turned it up ten minutes before? And after an hour we ask someone else to call us to make sure our phone is still working? We make sure we're not going to miss the call. I'm afraid far too often we don't anticipate that God's going to call. And we don't hear him call. Others, maybe we need to set aside some distractions in life. We need to pay attention and say, God, what do you want me to do? But I think many of us, perhaps even most of us, we don't struggle with hearing God's call. We struggle with answering God's call. Can I encourage you one more time? Answer the call. Father, thank you for your word tonight. Thank you for your people, for their kindness, for their attentiveness. But Lord, there's a world out there that's lost and dying and headed to hell. And as this church takes a a month to to really focus on the need to spread the gospel, I pray that you would work in hearts and lives as only you can.
Maybe there's someone here that you're calling to the foreign mission field and they've just not answered that call yet. Maybe there's, there's several people here. You're calling to be a greater witness in their community, in their homes, in their workplace. Maybe there's people here who, who you'd like to see more involved in church. Lord, whatever your will is, it's always right. It's always best. Give us courage. Give us faith to trust and do what you've asked us to. Protect me and my family as we look to head back to Chile here in a few months. There's a lot that remains to be done. Help me not to fear. Help me not to doubt. Help me not to, to, to sit on my rear end and, and not do what you've created me to do. Lord, help us each as individuals and collectively as, as your children to answer your call. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for using us. It's in Jesus' name we ask these things. Amen. Thanks again for watching us online today. If you haven't done so already, please fill out a digital connection card so we know how to better serve you this week. For encouragement throughout your week, you can listen to past sermons by searching Open Bible Baptist Church on the Apple Podcast or Google Play Store. If you'd like to give today, you could give online at openbiblenj.org. Thanks again for joining us today. We'll see you on the next broadcast.